Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff Podcast, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martyr, Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters and I am joined as always by the director of our parish, Father Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing on this wonderful weekend, spring weekend, ahead of Heritage Day? Indeed. Um, good afternoon. Good morning, uh, Lindsay. I'm doing very, very well. Through the grace of God, um, beginning to find our feedback at work again, but mm. of course it's um, take, it's it's a gradual process. Um, all the family are well, and um, I'm glad to hear that yours are well as can be, and that you enjoyed a time out today. Um, yeah, I was. With uh, I was out in creation. We are obviously continuing our exploration of faith in this time of crisis as the church in creation for the time of September. But this theme the week for the week is need and not greed. And it's something that I try and live every single day of my life, only taking as much as you need and sharing the surplus with others or leaving enough for others to also consume. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Father, if you could just call everybody together with the collective prayer and then we will dive into the liturgy. Thank you, Lindsay. Good morning, everybody. The Lord of all creation is with you. If we were seated in church today, we would have heard the beautiful music of God of grace and God of glory on your people, pour your power. So let us open our hearts and minds to God as we pray the collect for this week. Lord of all the waters of oceans, rivers, aquifers, and lakes, evaporation and rain, grant us humility before the resources of the world to respect their limits and to acknowledge our dependence on them. May the waters of the world remind us of the grace of life and the depth of your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, so the first reasoning is Philippians 1 verses 21 to 30. And for me, it puts that central argument that is within all who I consider to be church clergy or those who are who have committed their lives to spreading the gospel of Christ. First 21 starts for what is life? To me, it is Christ. Death then will bring more. Verse 22, but if by continuing to live, I can do more worthwhile work, then I am not sure which I should choose. So within your life, I'm sure you are looking forward to joining Christ in the afterlife. Um, but you are on this mission on this earth to spread the gospel. Is this a conflict in your life, Father? No, it isn't. Um, I've wrestled with Paul's. Um, words here for many years as one has sort of grown up in the scriptures and and at various stages of your life uh, the matter of death is a very challenging one um but paul is able to speak like this because of him knowing that he is in christ whilst he's walking this for the face of this earth and encountering life in the way that he encountered life. Mm. What he was saying was ultimately, 
ultimately when death does come, I will know that I would be with Christ eternally. So the way he saw death was not the final, um, the final blow to our earthly lives, but mm. saw death mm. as, a, as a, a passage through which he then enjoys eternity with Christ. So there was that longing in his heart. I mean, I mean, I suppose in, in being in prison at the time when he wrote this letter to this congregation, who knows what the outcome of the prison sentence would be, what the courts would decide. Um, you know, that time it was, he was not really doing anything that would be, would, would have found him guilty of a crime that was punishable by death. But he opened himself to accepting that that was an, an option that would uh, stay himself, itself in his face. So I suppose there in the prison cell, thinking deeply about, you know, ministry um, and what, and the call and the vocation he had. And now he's called to reach out to the Gentile people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it included the possibility of death because people wanted to silence this voice that speaks for Christ, mm. silence mm. this life that celebrates Christ, um, the cost that he had to pay because he uh, witnessed to Christ, um, yeah. that death was always going to be a possibility. So I think it's important in, uh, you know, in our lives to recognize the, the urgency of life when we embrace the reality of death. As we know, death is not um, just for those who get old. Death comes to any age people, and um, it is reality we have to face every day because there's no guarantees that we will wake up the next day. We all are dependent on whatever the grace of God um, is for us, but whether we go through the passage of death, God is still with us. Mm. And, and through the passage of death, we are able to be with God. But I think the challenge also is, as Christ is with us in life, are we with Christ in life? Paul very much was committed to living his life for Christ in this world. Mm. So he was open to, to all of that. If my ministry continues after prison, so be it. If my ministry ends with death, I'm even more glad because I would have gained that I'm with Christ. But if I'm to continue, this is the way that I'm open to as well. Hmm. But he, he continues here by saying that um, the important thing is that your way of life should be as the gospel of Christ requires. So that whether, I, whether or not I am able to go and see you, I will hear that you are standing firm with one common purpose. And that with only one desire, you are fighting together in the faith for the faith of the gospel. Um, the, the way of life should be as the gospel of Christ requires. So does, does that mean like your life should be to spread the gospel no matter who you are? And then whichever way you are called to do that is the path that you should follow. I think, you know, firstly, it's what the gospel of Christ requires. It reminded me of Jesus's words when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and mm. your neighbor mm. as yourself. Now, based on that requirement in our relationship with God and each other, 
um, will follow all the requirements. You know, John 15, I give you this commandment, love one another as I've loved you. Um, so I think that those would be the gospel requirements that we live our lives by. But as we live our lives, we're also witnessing to what we are living our lives by. So, you know, we could talk about principles. We could talk about choices of lifestyle. We could, we could talk about all of those things. What do they reflect about our lives? Mm. Um, are they reflective of what the gospel requires? That is to love God and to love one another and ourselves. Or is it, uh, are we living by a different requirement to life? Um, what, what do we achieve when we live by the gospel of Christ, by what the gospel of Christ requires? If we're loving God and we're loving each other and we're loving ourselves, it's a principle that affects our relationships. It, it, um, it, it's, a, it's a principle that reflects our cooperation. It's a principle that affects how we treat the world. And as we said early on, uh, it's not about greed, but about need. And, um, and so draw, drawing in that theme for this week, uh, love would be not to destroy, but to, to, to build up. Tomorrow, we will, we will be asking the parents in the baptism service uh, to renounce all that is evil and, 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 and to, 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 to uh, pay allegiance to the, to the faith. And to renounce all that is evil is, is a, there's one party that says to renounce all that destroys and corrupts what God has created. And we renounce that. And then um, we, when, when we are paying our allegiance to God, uh, we're saying, you know, I believe and trust in God who made the world. I believe and trust in his son who redeemed humankind. I believe and trust in his Holy Spirit to give life to the people of God. So that's the, the part of the requirement of the gospel. Um, and so it has to do with our faith. What do we believe about life? What do we believe um, in life? And life is just not the life that I'm living, but that we are part of the whole of creation. So yeah. life is about yeah. the creator as well as it is about our creator, the creation of which we are a part of. But in the whole um, gambit of things, creation is never devoid of redemption and the, the life-giving spirit. So now that having said that, Paul looks at them and say, even if I'm only able to hear, I'm glad that you are standing firm with one common purpose. So here's the collective mindset that he will appeal to in the second chapter of Philippians. I have about you the same mind it was in Christ. And that with only one desire, you are fighting together for the faith of the gospel. So what is the faith of the gospel? Is the faith of the gospel the same as the requirements of the gospel? Yes, it would be. And the faith of the gospel is that God so loved the world, so we are to love God and love one another and love our neighbor. That, that's the principle of our faith. And so we seek to live by that. And so Paul says, you know, it's possible that I may not see you, but I'm also hearing what you are doing with your lives and how effective that witness is. And he's calling here 
to a church to come together for a common purpose, a common mindset, and fighting together, being together in the faith. So it's really in an isolated cell, a cold cell where you're all alone and you're labeled as a criminal. Look what appeal he's making uh, to the yeah. church yeah. on the outside that we're only going to sort this mat the matters out if we have a common purpose and we are fighting together for the faith. Um, but we're living in a world where there is greed. In community, we know there is need and we address it. But if we're only living by greed, then it means we don't have a common purpose. We have a, a capitalistic outlook in life which seeks only to make sure that my bonds are full. And if, if the one bond is full, that I've got enough to build a second barn. We're not worried about those who cannot even lay the first brick of a barn to store anything in because they don't have anything to store. And yeah, so yeah. Paul is um, calling the church to unity here. That's what he wants Earth to hear. That is, what will, that is what will speak to him in the prison cells. Mm. There's a lot of parallels with this story and like Paul's letter to the to the Philippians, um, along with what Nelson Mandela achieved in his lifetime, where he was isolated from the society he was kind of fighting for, the, whose freedom he was fighting for, kept trying to send messages, obviously through like Winnie Mandela and what whichever channels that he could. Um, but the important thing um, about, and, and, and I, I know it's out of character for me to refer to it as gospel, but like the gospel is a living thing. So like if the gospel of Christ is the gospel that you subscribe to, if that is the philosophy, then you must always live to that standard so that you can show others how to do that. Uh, like we were out today at, at Fergelechen. And there were a couple of wild kids in the in the play area. And my daughter comes to me and she's like, these Isikosa kids are very wild. And I was like, no, these children or those children, like we don't need to bring anything else other than the fact that they are human children <laughs> into yeah. it. Like we need to remove all that sort of judgment first. So that, and I mean, that that's, it's, it's a small thing but in the long term, I see that as adding up as like me constantly reminding her that we must not judge people on their culture or anything external. And like just mm. and like for me, that is me like loving the philosophy that I want to see spread through the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the innocence of a child, one would read uh, there that uh, when you starting to label people, you start labeling behaviorisms as only coming out of their culture, like wild, the wildness of, I mean, she was innocent in the way she described that in her panic, so I, I'm not judging her, but it's very important for us to listen to language. Yeah. You know, wildness could easily be associated with being causa. Now, that's not, that's not true because, because it's human to be wild, and, and we don't know their contexts. I mean, they come from, from homes that have no spaces in between them. In most cases, there are people, I mean, I can't assume that that group of children necessarily lived, live in squatter communities, 
there would have been some kind of relation to to um, spaces where they couldn't be in. So it's very interesting how how we have to help our children use language that will build for a common future rather than one that is still stifled in uh, uh, celebrate, not celebrating, using difference as a judgment tool rather than to celebrate it. Because, you know, even those of us that claim not to be wild, at some point we will be asked not to be wild because our yeah. wildness may yeah. not relate to running around, but it could be in the way we speak to, to another human being or about another human being. But it shows you just how far we still have to go that our, the next generation is picking up on some of the languages that we language that we use to to make definitions. And you you broke the cycle by saying to a no, here's a time, a moment for re-education. Coming back to Paul's purpose, hold it. We are here with a common purpose, fighting together for a common faith of the gospel. So let's relook at this. And I think that's that's good when we are able to relook at um, how we should be defining things and talking about things. I would dare say you you were moved by a gospel imperative in yeah. what you were teaching. <laughs> that was that was the kind of parallel I was drawing, but I didn't want to to put that sort of label on myself. <laughs> but but can I but can I go back to saying that I have no problem in putting Nelson Mandela alongside Paul's experience here. Because when you're in a cell like that, how do you avoid the presence of Christ? Mm. How how does God not come to you when you are burdened with injustice and your spirit is longing for a just world and you've been fighting this not just on the on the on the on the racial level even when you read his book uh, long road to freedom he's fighting all of that in the culture that he grew up in where there was dominance and patriarchy uh, and things that gave the individual no sense that they belonged, but that they were in servitude to the culture. Uh, so um, I, have, I have no problem in seeing him as a, as a, a Pauline figure that would be, that would, that would, I mean, I don't think Nelson told us enough about the transformation he went through in that prison cell, mm. but he lived it. He lived it. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a, so I have no problem in him then coming out and in every talk he spoke about having the common purpose, doing things together for the benefit of all, and that he was able to cross over the lines um, that would have divided. Uh, just a very simple experience. We were at a gathering where nurses had died in a horrific uh, accident in Mitchell's Plain many years ago. He had just come out and he was the president of the country. And he came to Mitchell's Plain where we had a service of a um, memorial. And we, the clergy, were sitting right in the, on the stage, right in the, in the back rows because of security. And he came and greeted each one of us with a handshake. Now, there was a chair dividing us. Did you know that he 
asked for an apology in greeting us with a chair in between us. This is a man who could only look at people through the, the prison bars. Mm. That was his contact with the world. And he actually could see that it's, it's rude to have a division between you and another person. So he apologized that that has happened. Now, what kind of person talks like that after spending so many years behind bars for, for standing up for truth and justice? Something yeah. happened yeah. in that cell that made him long for the common purpose and the fighting together of a belief that I suppose was found on the gospel, a belief of justice in community. Quite possibly. Um, uh, just, just with an eye on, on the gospel, which is according to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, it's the parable of the landowner, and he went to hire laborers and just kept ending at different times of the day, more laborers to the field, and then ended up paying everybody the same day's wage. So many will argue that one of Nelson Mandela's failures was to bring about equality in the country. We, we brought about democracy, but there was never a full sense of equality, because equality would mean that those who had ill-gotten gains on the backs of those who had they had of those who they had dominated in the past should have restored that wealth to um, the rest of the country. Um, but here's a perfect example of equality where the workers who started work at the beginning of the day had agreed to a daily rate, and then they thought they would be paid more than the people who like started only an hour before Shiloh died. And they were all paid the same thing. So I see that as a lesson of like how you should <laughs> look at the negotiation that you made up front and you should always honor that um, and not feel hard done by if you assume that you would receive another reward. There's that whole thing of need not greed. It's like you only take as much as you need and you should be happy with that and be happy that other people are also prospering at the same time that you are. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, 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 my response would be that the landowner who himself goes out to hire laborers, mm. his, need, his, his need for people to work in his vineyard opened up his need to go and hire people. He mm. takes the risk and offers them an opportunity to work. They were on the in the marketplaces looking for work. Yeah. Here comes yeah. a landowner who takes the risk to open up his, his space for labor. Now, even before they start the work, he is, and the word that Jesus used is agreeing with them. He doesn't tell them, this is what I'll give you. He is agreeing with them what the usual daily wage is. Yeah. yeah. Um, he didn't have to do that, but he could. So he shows a level of generosity and justice as to, to the laborer. Um, and he goes out at various times of the day 
recognizing that there were still people who would not be chosen to go and work. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we look look at our marketplaces on around um, traffic lights where people are sitting whole day, um, and and they are not hired, and so um, the landowner, the one who has got the um, economic power of land and money and produce goes and shares that by bringing in the laborers. Now, this is a story I think that can be spoken into our own country around land. Who mm. really mm. owns the land? And um, if we can determine that before the Europeans came, land was seen as something that was shared and not owned by human beings. Mm. When the Europeans came, they put fences around and claimed ownership and legalized mm. that ownership after having stolen the land. Taken, taken, not stolen. <laughs> I well, I think it was stolen. Um, because you see, the, the, the people who lived on the land except of sharing what they had. It wasn't theirs, but mm. they were living the land. It was provided for them to be shared. And once you have, once I wonder if, 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 if the people who came across or came back to the motherland had gotten hold of that concept, what would our world have been like? that mm. there was a space for everybody and that nobody was fighting for land. Now we have words like land grab. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there's a whole tension around ownership of that. But be that as it may, one of the, the things that I, is also interesting in the story was uh, he saw them standing idle. Mm. Now, we all know that lovely phrase that says, the devil has worked for idle hands. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and so this landowner of the kingdom is one who loves to ensure that people are empowered with, 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 with something to do that creates within them the dignity they deserve. I mean, if you're giving somebody a job to do, there's a, there's a rise in, their, is in themselves. They are not they are, they are, they, their self-esteem has been given a chance to express itself mm. in, in, the, in the labor. So there's much more to the story than just, you know, um, the, the thing at the end. So already the landowner setting the tone of how he would love people to be working in that, con in that context. Agreement, mm -hmm. an opportunity to work throwing in people away from, from a life of idleness. And, um, and then, of course, evening comes. Mm. So in the day, all these wonderful things are happening. And who is noticing it? Who is picking up the subtle nuances of what the landowner of the kingdom was doing around the issue of his vineyard, where it doesn't tell us how big it is, 
but obviously mm. the work was quite intense and yeah. he was giving opportunity for work. So I suppose now we get to the to the to the time when those who even though they were in agreement, they were empowered to agree about the daily wage, they still expected more money than the ones who came in later. Based on the assumption that because I worked longer than them, I then must get paid more than them. Yeah. Now, is that is that greed? Do we conveniently forget our agreement by looking at what the other is receiving? Hmm. Do I measure my value by what you have received? Do I do I go against my own agreement when I assume I need to be getting more than you? Mm. Um, where in their uh, mindset does that creep in? When they've forgotten their own principles of agreement to the day's wages, why were they expecting to receive more? And apparently, one scholar's view of this is that deals with the ninth and tenth commandment. Um, thou shalt not covet what has been given to your neighbor. And I was quite fascinated by that because he says they were now coveting what their neighbor received because they mm. wanted more than their neighbor. That was an interesting outlook on the whole thing. Is the frightening one. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That's yeah. the judgment call. That's the judgment call. Um, but also, we dare. Sadly enough, we dare to do exactly what verse fifteen tells us. We tell God how much He must give. How much love, grace, forgiveness must he dish out to other people? <laughs> we tell him who he's got to send to hell and he, who he hasn't got to send to hell. We are telling the landowner what he must do. How dare we? And, and he uses the word here, that, are, that is what's the name, in verse 15, or are you envious because I am generous? Mm. Here mm. the landowner defines his actions earlier on. I am generous. Yeah. By taking the risk to invite you to work for me, by agreeing to the usual daily labor, and by keeping my promise to pay you at the end of the day. Mm. I, what what I like about this as well is it it highlights something that we discussed way at the beginning when we started this this exploration, um, where I maintain that I forget where I heard this quote, but the two most common human traits are laziness and jealousy, um, <laughs> and so in the beginning, like he finds the workers in the marketplace and they are well not lazy for instance, but they're looking to make a a, a a quick buck. Uh, but he always, what, what strikes me is that the landowner always has an eye on how much work needs still to be done. 
Because he obviously goes out um, and then yeah. sees how much has been achieved and how much is still to be done. And like, okay, cool, I need to get a couple of more people in. And then he keeps bringing more people and bringing more people. So then it's always like that thing of maybe the person who, who came in last did the same amount of work in a shorter time, you know, like just did enough to get, get the elephant over the hill. <laughs> Can I just say into that, that the land, you know, there's, there may be an, an, an assumption built in here where if you were chosen first to work, hmm. are you in a better shape? Uh, your skills, your build is more marketable than the guy who gets the job at five o'clock in the afternoon. Why were they not chosen first? Were they more weaker? Were they of less value than the ones who were chosen first? Hmm. I suppose in you going to the marketplace, you're looking for the best worker. You're looking for the one that's younger. You're looking for the one who's, uh, whom, you, whom you can depend upon. But to actually go out at different times of the day, recognize that even those who were inside, as you said, the work was so much they themselves couldn't finish it in, mm. in the course of a day to, to mm. meet the daily wage. So he goes out. Um, and where those who are perhaps a little bit more weaker, their stretch to work was not as long as those who could work earlier on because they were not as marketable as the, as the early guys were. Yet, they could do the work for a little bit less time because of their situation, their condition. And, um, and so, again, here yeah, it's interesting. Do those of us who claim to have served God for longer, have, have been doing, in inverted commas, incredible work for the kingdom, mm. want a better deal with God than those of us who came in late, those of us that realized uh, salvation too late? Um, and I think what is important here, whilst we are there hanging out in the marketplace, it is the landowner who looks for us. Mm. He has a purpose. We are looking out for those who can use us. We don't even know where that's going to come from. So then how does the person think when just because you were started earlier than me, does that mean, is it based, is the fairness based on you must get more than I get? Or is it based on the generosity of the landowner? Mm. Is God's measure of grace for you more than mine? Yeah. And, and on that, and I no. think that's what challenges us. Yeah. And I think on that challenge, um, if you could just highlight a few further points of. Okay. So, so I just want to read iterate some of the, the talking points of the collect for our prayers. Concentration was done on the waters that are in the oceans, rivers, aquifers, lakes, uh, evaporation and rain. We, we thank God for the rains that have fallen. And we thank God that there are some dams that have it up to 
During the lockdown, we thank God that the oceans were able to recover, so the rivers and lakes as well. Um, we now pray that as we go into a period of where we are able to do more under lockdown, that we will not again trample on um, God's creation in the way we have with greed. We recognize God's created creatures, both small and great. We also realize that in the busyness of trying to make our money and to get on with our lifestyle, we forget things. Which, and so we pray for us because we are normally full of worries and cares. Yet God is faithful and continues to call us to follow him to the hidden and distant places so that we might care for others. We thank God for showering us with his love and abundance. Even though we fret, it will all be lost. So we count what we have received. We store them up and hoard things. We do not live on the faith of God's generosity. And we pray for a genuineness in our gratitude to God. We ask God to help us to follow him in the here and the now, to help us to care for the most vulnerable and to give us that love that casts out fear, setting us on the blessing road of the servant. We also pray for our young people during this time, those who contemplate their career choices in, a challenging, in challenging economic times. Those who are employed, that there will be growth in their opportunities. For those who feel despair of rejection because applications for work has rejected. Those who are single parents, those who are hurting from broken relationships, that Jesus will envelop them ever closer to him and help them. Even though from Monday, COVID-19 is still very real and very much with us. And so we continue to pray, author of life, healer of the nations, grant us courage to face our trial, give us wisdom to find relief, give us faith to be responsible, and grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And as we reach the, the conclusion of this podcast, just remind you of a hymn writer who wrote these incredible words. There is a wideness in God's mercy. And so in conclusion, we give thanks to God who is always gracious to us. And now the commissioning and benediction. Lord, allow my ears to listen to the cry of the earth, the voices of my sisters and brothers, those who face the harsh reality of climate change. Lord, send me. Lord, allow my eyes to see the beauty of creation in flowers, creatures, forests, and cities alike. Lord, send me. 
Lord, allow my voice to speak out for justice and ensure people living in poverty are heard. Lord, send me. Lord, allow my hands to care for the earth, to toil, to reap, to celebrate. Lord, send me. Lord, allow my feet to take the path less trod, to walk the extra mile, to carry your compassion out to the world. Lord, send me. Through the blessing of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may we go forth with joy to care for all of creation. We go therefore in peace to love and serve the Lord and we go in the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>